Welcome to Mind Positivo Podcast. My name is Biaju, and today we have the pleasure of being joined by Dean Quirk. Dean is a wellness educator and facilitator who specializes in men's health and well-being, primary prevention education and community development. Dean has 20 years experience as a speaker and a facilitator, delivering a variety of early intervention and health promotion programs to individuals, groups, and corporate clients in schools, charities, and prisons. In 2015, Dean founded the Young Men's Group, an empowering youth-changing lives program. In 2018, Dean consulted with the Department of Veteran Affairs as an experienced community support advisor with programs such as Men's Health Peer Support Programs. He's in, his skills are in facilitating workshops are highly sought after in areas of youth and men's wellness and community development. And he also is the host of the Real Men, Real Stories podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Oh, thank you, Biagio, for that lovely introduction. It's re- I'm really uh, looking forward and excited to connecting on your podcast and just wanted to acknowledge you for such a wonderful initiative that you're, you're running in Mind Positivo. So very grateful and appreciative that you've invited me on today. Oh, thank you so much, Dean. You're kind, very kind. Um, quick question. For, we'll kick off. How did you um, get into this field? And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Dean's background before all of this amazing stuff that you've been doing. <laughs> well, Biagio, how far back do you want me to go? Mate, uh, just to give it... <laughs> I've got plenty of time. Let's go. <laughs> Great. Uh, look, just to, give you, just to give you a little bit of a background, I'm from uh, London, England. Um, I grew up in, a, in uh, an area of West London, um, Ealing, and... I guess um, as that uh, the teenager I, I, I developed my program from was really based on on myself, my own journey. I was sort of a, a teenager that uh, couldn't find his uh, his feet in the world, if you like. Um, I was, uh, you know, basically I left school very very early, uh, sixteen, um, and at that time my um, parents they were going through some uh, marriage issues and. Cut long story short, they they decided to uh, to divorce, and look, that really threw me. Um, I, up to then, I'd had you know pretty happy childhood, if you like, and um, you know divorce happened. My parents were splitting, had to move to another area, um, move away from my friends. All of these different things. It, it, it I guess it was a, the the turning point that really pushed me over the edge, and I became one of those tear away teenagers, if you like, and mm-hmm. ended up getting a lot of a lot of trouble, a lot of strife over a, over a short period. And look, it resulted in me ending up at Crown Court. So if any of you know about the difference between Crown Court and Magistrates Court is if you end up at Crown Court, it means you're looking at a, a long custodial sentence, um, you know, over three years. Um, and mm-hmm. that's really what I was looking at. I'd got into a lot of trouble mixing with, uh, I guess, undesirables from, from my area. And um, I was sort of stood in front of the judge and well, I'd basically resi- um, resigned to, to the fact that I was going to prison. Mm-hmm. I was very scared. Um, I was a very small, um, insecure teenager. Um, and yeah, very, very, very scared. Didn't know what to happen. Just heard all the horror stories of, uh, of prison and particular juvenile institutions. And my, my, um, look, my saving grace was uh, that my mother took the stand and just said, look, this... Uh, this good boy, uh, he never gets into trouble and he's, um, you know, he always, um, 
you know, always does his best and all these things. He's just, um, you know, um, myself and my husband, we're divorcing and it's obviously, it's thrown him into, into turmoil and look, it, it never do it again. And look, the, the judge saw leniency. I was just so lucky on that particular day um, that he saw leniency and I, I escaped with a two-year conditional discharge. It meant that if I ever got into trouble within that two years, I would go uh, to prison for that, uh, for that three years. So, Right. Look, I was very grateful with that, with that turning point. And <clears throat> it was one of those things, if you like, that I guess reflecting back on that created a, a thread in my life. I'm a, I'm a big believer in turning points in your life or, or instances or experiences that, you know, that shape the rest of your life or, sh or shape the next part of your journey. Yep. So lo and behold, 20, from that point, I'd say 20 years later, maybe a little bit longer than that, I ended up uh, taking a job in the prison service, working with those, uh, you know, those teenagers that were like myself back in those days. So, you know, it had a it had a really profound uh, effect on me. Um, so much so that um, when I when I was uh, when I avoided prison, I sort of looked at okay, what what other things can I do? How can I get myself back into, you know, focusing on things that are going to really help and support me and. A good few years later, after after not finding the right job, uh, I tried a number of different trades and and that type of thing, um, which can really play on you know teenagers' minds. You know, trying to trying to you know leaving school early, trying to look and find yeah. your find your place in the world can be you know can be really really difficult. Uh -huh. um, but look, um, the army came along for me. It was an idea, um, I guess, that came from. The connection I had with my grandfather, he was he was in the navy, and I know you know he had a good life and, and and stuff like that. And it was it was a way of, you know, him sort of going away, learning discipline, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, connecting with 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 other others like minded individuals and stuff like that. And that was the seed that sort of planted in my, my mind that look, if I want to get myself back on track and I want to find my feet then, you know, I've got to do something um, quite uh, severe, really, um, to start learning all of those skills that, that, that I'm missing, self-discipline, focus, uh, being fit and well, you know, all of those different things. And uh, I saw the army as being um, that opportunity, if you like. And look, I joined uh, in, in, the, in the February of uh, 95. It was a very, very cold month. Uh, those of you that are from Europe will know how very uh -huh. cold it is in in Europe in, in, in February, particularly yeah. in, in England. And yeah, look, I did my, I did my basic training. I did the 10 weeks. And at the end of that, there was a big shift and change in me. I'd become very, very fit. Um, my mindset was more focused on what I could do, not on what I couldn't do. And it gave me the st uh, stability I was looking for. I should, I should basically um, just give you a bit of a, uh, of a reason that um, that really pushed me into into the joining the army at that particular time was I'd actually experienced um, uh, uh, what we call a mental breakdown. Uh, right. I'd been, you know, um, I'd been basically, you know, operating in those in those areas where you know there was a lot of drugs and drink and and stuff like that, recreational, and it, it was a time where um, in England specifically they had a, a very large dance scene and. You know, mm -hmm. many people were out partying and going to these these illegal raves, as we used to call it, and stuff like that. And you know, you just get carried away in the in the whole um, culture, if you like. You know, the youth culture. And look, um, 
the army when it presented was at such a crucial time because um you know i'd basically been experiencing a lot of anxiety panic attacks all of these different things that um, i'd never experienced before and you know nobody nobody really back then knew too much about um mental wellness other than you know you go to a psychologist or psychiatrist they put you on medication and you know and and then you find your way from there you know there wasn't that many programs as there is is today to to help people so i didn't want to go down the route of um of uh you know psychiatric help and and also I'm not saying that's the wrong route but for me it wasn't the right path i didn't want i didn't like the idea of medication i tried it um i tried it on one day and it just i just didn't feel right on on medication so look the army was my saving grace it got me very very fit and you know people will talk about you know um um exercise and how that helps to balance in the chemicals in the brain um, and it really helps to stabilize mental health for me it was a defining factor but on top of that what really supported me was having a purpose in the army you've got a purpose you've got to get up very early in the morning you've got to parade you then go through a you know a full uh, criteria of um of jobs you've got to perform um whether it's cleaning duties um, whether it's uh, supporting your squadron, you know, and you're always working towards something. You know, if you if you ever speak to a veteran, they will say to you, um, some of the best times of their life are, are, are basically when they're, you know, when they're getting ready to, to go away on an operational tour because you're so focused and, you know, you're doing so much training and all of this is that you might, you don't have any time to, you know, to let your mind focus on what's wrong and, and this yeah. doesn't feel right and stuff. So, I guess though they they were the two that that court being in front of the the judge of the court and then joining the army and and that helping me to overcome some mental health issues I had at the time were the biggest defining uh, factors of how I got into into what I'm doing today. Well, that that's an amazing story. We always talk on Mind Positivo about taking a negative and making it into a positive, and this is a, a absolute gem of an example. Uh, Dean of what you've actually done so and I know we've spoken before about um, the challenges that our ex-servicemen and women have when they're coming back out of the military and service um, in integrating and getting into society and they norm a lot of them are experiencing these these challenges that you had before joining the army so um, and I know you do a lot of work around that what are your views about um how that's managed these days and is there anything that can be done to make it better for these individuals? Yeah, just so I'm clear on your question. So when we're talking about individuals, are you talking about, you know, generalization of, you know, the, the, the whole community or are you talking about specifically veterans? Well, specifically, specifically veterans um, coming out of the, the service and coming back and integrating back into the community. You hear a lot of stories that, um, you know, that they have these challenges going through mental challenges and anxiety and stress. Um, and I know there's talk that more could be done. There's more plan to be done. What are your thoughts around that specifically for ex-service men and women? Yeah, look, a uh, great question. Uh, so yeah, I really appreciate that. So uh, I would say really uh, interestingly, and this is very timely actually. So I, I attended a webinar yesterday, which is run by, um, um, a, a department called uh, Open Arms, which is part of DVA. So they look specifically at uh, helping uh, veterans with, with their me um, uh, 
mental well-being, if you like. So they run a number of programs, a number of initiatives. And uh, what, what really came out of um, what really came out of that, and I find uh, really interesting is, is that what was said was the experience with um, the bushfires, just to give you a bit of an example of uh, when the uh, reservists were called forward to uh, help with uh, the bushfires that we experienced in, uh, in New South Wales and, and, and around uh, some parts of uh, Australia um, mm-hmm. earlier in this, in the, in this year. The reservists, what they experienced was the lead up and the training to getting ready to help with the bushfires and then being part of the bushfires was really helpful as it gave them a, you know, a purpose to work towards. Right. So, so yeah. And that's what a, you know, that's what a soldier or veteran is all about is, is, is an individual, if you like, that is conditioned to get ready to respond to a threat. Mm-hmm. or to respond to, you know, to, to go out and, and, and assist with peacekeeping or, or whatever mission it is. We're always being uh, conditioned, if you like, to get ready for something. So we send, tend to associate that with being our purpose so that when we're connecting with our, um, our comrades, if you like, and, and when we're in that purpose mode, that's when we're at our best. You know, that's where we become, um, I guess, experts in our field. We're, we're experts at basically... Are responding to threats and, and getting ready for things. What tend what tends to not happen, and this can be um, um, this is not down to to anyone's particular thought, and this is what um, that can be seen as a as a potential problem is is there is a lack of deconditioning. So if you think about it in in this way of um, so if we condition uh, a person um, to respond. Um, you know, to a command or whatever, and they, and they get ready to, to assist with whatever campaign they're going into. And then that person then comes back into normal life, whether that's family, whether that's community or whatever, and they haven't been deconditioned, then there can be problems because the same purpose and the same requirement is not there. And, and this is, uh, I guess, an analogy, if you like, of uh, uh, that many veterans that do multiple tours away on operational duty that then come back and they've been so um, um, set up in that hyper uh, alert state, if you like, that when they come back, they're still within that hyper alert state, but the same threats are not there. And instead of that, they've got obviously family around them. You know, they've got a community around them, but that doesn't always understand um, um, that perspective or, or what that type of training um, gears a, a, a veteran up to do. So this is where, you know, um, some of the issues can come around in regards to, um, you know, mental well-being um, in that transitional phase. And look, things are improving. Things are improving. Um, like we've just seen that we've now got, um, now the government has obviously initiated that um, suicide awareness. Um, so we've, yeah. know, so that's a huge program that's um, that, that's been rolled out, you know, to, 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 to make sure that we're, you know, we're working more on prevention and we're, we're providing a lot more points of contact. So that's really, really, um, that's a massive plus. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's, you know, so which is, which is great. And also as well, there's, a, there's been a lot of development um, with new programs that are out there that, that um, veterans in remote areas can sort of connect with as well. So interestingly, that this particular uh, COVID-19 um, 
time has really helped organizations to uh, to put the frameworks in place to to meet the to meet these um, uh, remote locations and to connect with these with these uh, veterans that are in more isolated areas. So that's been really helpful as well. So, you know, um, I know uh, I know uh, we shouldn't always wait for um, you know something like this to occur before those those sort of frameworks are put in place. But you know, it's been really helpful, and I, I and I'm sure these these frameworks will continue. You know, after we come out of lockdown, and obviously the um, and, and things are relaxed. Yeah, um, it sounds great that all these initiatives now are coming into place, and that's thank you for sharing that background of um, around you know how the military are, are faring coming out of service. And I guess we take this opportunity to thank yourself and all those that have served and are serving um, in 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 the, in the military. Even you know, I know my grandparents, my granddad, and grand uncles, great uncles used to tell stories. They wouldn't say much because in those days they didn't talk much about it. But I guess where we owe we owe all of you guys uh, a great deal of respect for that. So thank you, um, Dean. Tell us a little bit about the Young Men's Group um, and Empowering Youth Changing Lives program, because I know you're doing some great stuff there. What is all that about? And how does that work? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again for the for the question. So Young Men's Group, as, as you mentioned earlier in in the bio, was set up in uh, 2015. And really, it was uh, it was inspired um, from my work uh, within the, the juvenile uh, prison service in, in Europe. So I worked in uh, Feltham Young Offenders, which is it houses about a thousand plus uh, juveniles and young offenders, meaning uh, it houses fifteen to twenty one year olds. Wow. And in in that time, so I was there for about six years. Um, so I worked I worked across the the prison on on both sides and. What I really noticed was was that apart from you know we've got young men here that are that obviously they're troubled you know there's 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 a reason that um you know they're you know they're getting in the, into these types of troubles you know some of them are, are on very long sentences some are on short sentences but what what I noticed with uh, because I worked um, in the gym so after a year of being a prison officer I was selected to be a, a PE officer which meant that we could do a lot more around um, delivering, uh, re uh, addressing uh, reoffending behaviour programs. So we did a lot of work around that. So whether it was, you know, uh, education from the perspective of, you know, uh, gym gym qualifications, whether it was working on obviously their general education in, uh, you know, phys in phys ed and all of those different things. They got a lot, um, yeah, a lot of education, and a number of them were very very bright, you know, and. I thought, wow, you could do so much with your lives. And, you know, they'd, they'd say, say to me, particularly the ones on short sentences would say, you know, when they're getting out, they would say, gov, gov, because that's how they used to, used to um, see us as or what they used right. to call us. I was like, gov, um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting out tomorrow. And I said, right, okay, that's awesome. So when you get out, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, we're going to, you know, I'm going to use these qualifications that I've gained, um, get down to the job center, look for a job, and, you know, I'm going to really turn my life around. And I'd be like, great, that's awesome. Anyway, three months later, um, you'd see him back in. It was like a revolving door. I was right. like, and that used to really sadden me. When I saw him back, I, I was really saddened by that because I thought, look, bright individuals, they could do so much. And it really gave me um, the insight that this isn't about 
you know, them having to better themselves and get these qualifications, although that really helped. This is about them having to break their association. And what I mean by that is, is that wherever we associate our mind or we associate our physical body by the people we hang around with will influence and manifest our environment. And that's what we were seeing time and time again. So you could have the best individual with the best qualifications going back to, to a family that are you know, involved in crime and you know, nothing's changing or they're going back to the same set of friends that get involved in with gangs and stuff like that. They would get into the same bit uh, behaviors. They're being influenced by that association, if you like. So lo and behold, about 10 years later, um, I'd uh, left um, the prison service. I'd gone um, to, I'd emigrated to, to Australia and I set up, um, I set up young men's group. So I did a pilot program at the, at the time I'd, I'd had a health studio myself. So I'd set up a, a business in, in uh, Sydney in Mossman, a very affluent area. And I basically got together um, eight young men, eight young men from the local area that, that had expressed to me um, just through, just through the local area. I knew their parents and, and, and such like they expressed to me that they, they'd like to, you know, to, to be involved in this pilot program, which was an eight week program at the time. And what it was all about was it was about working on uh, life skills, if you like. So, and, and I can go through the elements of the program a little bit later, if you wish, but it was about working on life skills. And we had a psychologist um, friend of mine. She came and did um, a, a test and it was from the HeartMath Institute. And what that test did was it measured how, uh, this young person deals with and responds to stress in their life. So uh, you might be thinking, well, hold on a minute, how much stress is there in a young person's life? So we're talking stress-wise, it might be, you know, that young person's having stress at school, he might be having stress at home, um, he might be experiencing stress in, in, in relationship, whatever it is. But what that uh, test did was... Um, it put the every young man that was coming onto the courses, some of them were, were suffering with anxiety and, and mild depression and, and such like. It put them in the red uh, criteria, which meant that they had limited resources for dealing with stress, which meant that they were very, very reactive. And this reactivity was getting them into a lot of trouble in their life. So anyway, we did this pilot course. We did the eight weeks. And look, it went really well. And the framework from the group really was about setting up and holding a space for young people to be able to express exactly where they're at in the hope that they're going to inspire each other and assist each other um, to, to heal themselves, if you like, to overcome. Anyway, we, we retested them at week eight um, and they'd completely uh, uh, moved from the red uh, criteria to the green. And I was like, this is amazing. I, yeah. I, I really you know, it exceeded all of my expectations. So, um, you know, all of those, um, th those uh, key subjects we'd worked through, you know, it, it sort of, it really worked and we were getting some great results. So we, we put the data down. Um, I then took all of that data and I, and I put in for a grant. Um, so it was a club grant uh, in the uh, area of uh, Western Sydney. So I thought, look, I'm going to take this program um, to one of the most challenging areas of Sydney, which is Western Sydney, particularly Fairfield, mm -hmm. a very multicultural area. And I said, I'm going to test out the program there. So I took it out there and I was very, very successful um, with the with the club grants. And I was given grants that would allow me to do this work for 12 months at um, five different schools. 
um, wow. within within uh, the Western Sydney area. So I was at I was at behavioural schools. So that's kids that have been kicked out in year ten and and earlier, and also as well I was at some mainstream schools as well. So one of them was two of them. Sorry, we had Fairfield High School and Prairiewood High School, and then the rest were behavioural schools. Uh, Warwickiri, uh, Verona, and the other school just escapes me at the moment. Um, so they were interesting schools. So I then developed the program into a 10-week program in order to meet the criteria for the, for the grants. And our goals was, um, and, and I'll tell you the name of the program. So the area at the, at the, the time, um, this was 2015, early 2016, they were suffering some severe violence within the area. Like uh, the community was scared to, you know, to go out, you know, because there was a lot of youth crime yep. and violence and all this sort of stuff. So the, the program was called uh, Building Community and Stopping Violence. So we delivered, we delivered the program and look, we got some absolutely uh, fantastic results with the, with the young people. And I, I went on to, to do about, I think we did about three years in, in, in the Western Sydney and, you know, we kept getting different schools that were coming on board and we did some collaborations with Mission Australia, uh, Youth Off the Streets and other organisations like that. And we ended up working with around about 500 young men because it was a men only, uh, young men only uh, specific programme. And the programme developed into a foundational, which was the life skills. Uh, so it was all about young people getting the resources and skills to add to their toolbox and then we did a defining program which was a phase two which was all about helping young men to then take what they've given and then to give back in their community and that was another 10 to 12 week program and that was a game changer absolute game changer it, it allowed young men to to think about and contemplate how they want to make changes in their own area and we got some amazing things just to give you an example and I don't want to take up too much more more time on this, but there was a there was a group of young um, uh, Islander uh, young men. So um, that, that I had in a program at Fairfield High School, and they did a program called uh, Big Brother. And what it was all about was was about using rugby league. So they were coaching and teaching rugby league um, to to um, uh, refugees. Um, that had come from uh, Syria, if you like. Right. So they did this. So they did this. Um, so th they made up the program. It was their idea. And it was basically about helping uh, refugees to be able to settle in and get to know, you know, what Australian people were like. Because, you know, some of these um, these refugees were expressing that they'd, they'd experienced a lot of hostility. So hostility. So they, so the program was all about, okay, we're not all like that. You know, um, you know, yep. and uh, and look, it was it was absolutely amazing. So you got you got the um, the young men teaching uh, these guys how to play rugby league, and then there was a big barbecue and they had food, and then the refugees were teaching um, the guys how to play soccer. So wow. it was just a, so such a beautiful integration of uh, of culture within the community. So that's really um, you know what young men's all about. It's about helping young men change themselves to then go on and help make change for others. Mate, well, congratulations, mate. It's an amazing initiative. And it just pins, pins the, the point on giving someone an opportunity, giving them mm. a go. And that's all it takes sometimes is to give the young and the youth. You know, we do a lot with young people as well and identifying where they can manage their, their daily lives. And, and 
opportunity is so important to give to lift people up and give them a chance. So, mate, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Um, in in summarising, finally, I just wanted to ask you um, the Real Man Real Stories podcast. I know it's a very successful podcast. Um, tell it, tell our listeners a little bit about that that initiative and what it's all about. Sure. Uh, so the idea really came from, I guess, my own experience with with podcasts. I think they're such a valuable tool because you know it allows it allows people to listen to to inspiring stories while they're on the go. You know, whatever field you're interested in, it, it gives you, uh, I guess, an opportunity to deal with a problem or issue that's presenting in your life. So if you've got relationship issues, find a podcast about relationships. If you've got uh, work issues, find one about, you know, how to help you find purpose in the career that you want. So I see great value in, in people sharing, you know, what they're, what they're good at, if you like, or, or what they've, what they've um, worked on and overcome. So what I saw was um, with the podcast and, you know, I may be incorrect here was I saw that there, there wasn't that many podcasts out there where they were bringing on real men that had experienced uh, adversity in their life, had met that adversity and overcome it or right. not overcome it. So I wanted um, to create something that gave people access to um, men as they're navigating, you know, different uh, circumstances in their life. So, you know, having you on there was amazing, you know, talking about, uh, mental well-being and strategies to get well and how they connect with can connect with mind positivo to you know to you know to find out other inspiring stories um we've had on um who are, we've had uh, demetrius uh, perplexis he does some amazing work uh in the in the, in the community and particularly in abcd uh community work which is all about seeing the strengths and positives within people and then allowing that to uh, to, to then inspire them to go on and, you know, create some positive change in the world. You know, stuff like that, I just see there's so much value in, in speaking to, to men that have, that have had lived experience. They've overcome uh, some things in their life because that can help, you know, younger men that are navigating those problems. And, and particularly, you know, as we know, you know, mental health statistics are, are doubling, trebling, you know, at, at an alarming rate. And we know, uh, male suicide is a is a real problem so i wanted to to provide a, a podcast that would would connect with normal men and uh, and what i mean by that is is um men that um you know you would have a conversation with just around your community it's not someone that's achieved you know although there is some many men that have have achieved some amazing things but it's men that you know they're a bit more reachable that's basically what real men real stories all about and another thing just to, to another thing why why it basically why i've set it up now specifically or in the last uh, couple of years is um i've got the book coming out uh, which is all about uh, helping uh, men to um, particularly um the uh, involved in domestic abuse help to help them if they want to change um to break those uh, cycles of abuse uh, within their relationships etc so I wanted to, to bring forward this podcast really as a platform um, to help men that are going through particular issues, um, whether it's, um, you know, domestic abuse, um, whether it struggles with addiction, all of these different things um, to then uh, build a community, if you like, um, where we can, we, we, we can help those men. We can uh, bring stories that um, may influence and support them men, uh, men going through different troubles, et cetera. So that's really what it's all about.
Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. We're on the same wavelength there. Podcast, social media, uh, an absolute fantastic platform to get these messages. In particular, you know, having stories, having been having the opportunity to listen to someone's story instead of you having to tell them your story because a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about challenges like mental health. So definitely a, a fantastic platform. And uh, Dean, I'd love to get you back to talk about the book and a few other things, if that's okay, down the track. Um, and also, where can they get in touch with you other than uh, Real Men, Real Stories? Sure. So I, I've got, there's a couple of ways. So um, I'm just launching the, uh, so the book is called uh, Toxic Love, and it's called Breaking the Addictive Patterns of Domestic, or sorry, Domestic Family Abuse. So I've just set up a, a Facebook page in that, and that's all about building a community that, that, that the, everyone's welcome. You know, it's, uh, it, it's really uh, a space to, to empower and support people that may be caught in those cycles or patterns or the families that have been impacted. So it's really um, um, all about that. It's all about um, supporting and guiding, not judging. It's about bringing forward messages and positive stories to help people overcome these um, these very difficult and challenging situations that are arising. And we know it impacts uh, many people globally. So that's toxic love. Yep. Um, I've also, um, they can uh, contact me at Facebook as well, just directly through, through my name, dinkwork um, at facebook.com. Also as well, my email address for young men's group is uh, dean, all lowercase, ymg at gmail.com. And yeah, that's a, I think that's a, that's enough um, areas to, to contact me. I know many people are very um, uh, technology savvy these days, and you know they, they know how to, uh, to 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 find you. Just you know, just Google, and you know, and, and I've come up. And there's websites and an online program to follow in the near future. No, absolutely right. There are many ways, and we'll share um, uh, your contacts as well. And people, our listeners can. can contact with you through Mind Positive or anyway. So we'll make sure that happens. And Dean, I just want to thank you, mate, for your time. I appreciate it. And also for all your amazing support of Mind Positive and myself, because um, I've known you for a little while now. And uh, I, I was in my early stages with Mind Positive when we met and you uh, were a, a very strong advocate. So thanks again, mate. Congratulations on everything you're doing. All the best with it. And um, let's lock in a time down the track to talk about the book and a few other things. Oh, thank you, Biagio. I really appreciate it. And look, thanks for your time. Thanks for inviting me on. I greatly appreciate it. And it's always uh, fantastic to connect with like-minded individuals that are doing some amazing work out there. As, uh, as we know, it can be a, can be a lonely journey uh, getting out there, but it's so important that, that those journeys are taken and it starts with that single step. So keep doing the amazing work you're doing, my friend. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate it. Mate. You have a great evening and we'll talk again soon. Take care.